This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 through 9, 10 this morning. I want you to be able to go away reading this verse together with your family uh, or alone to engage it and see what God has for you. And as we study this morning, because there's a lot here, I want to try to pick out a few verses and really for us to focus in to get a good summary of what's going on in these passages to help you better understand it and to study it on your own. The, mainly, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm seeing here and I want to convey to you, is that the way of Jesus is better than the way of this world. And specifically, as our high priest, Jesus being the high priest, he has created a new covenant. And that new covenant, or what I'm going to call the way of life, is better for you than the way of this world. Now, <clears throat> specifically for Hebrews, it's written to a people who followed the way of religiosity. Uh, it was Judaism, but it was, the, uh, it was the altered sense of Judaism. It was the legalistic side of it. It's what humans are really good at doing. We take good stuff and we make it bad. And so what happened was they took a good uh, covenant between God and man, and they made it bad. And the people needed to be freed of it, so Jesus comes and he gives them a new way out. Today we're going to talk about that new way. Uh, they call it a covenant in Scripture. It's a relationship. It's an it's a agreement between two parties. Um, it's a way to create a new life with someone else. And Jesus has secured it for you. Now, but here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to compare this new way of living to the old way of living because that's exactly what happens in the book of Hebrews. Jesus wants us to see that his way is better. But we often, right, we often look at life and go, no, I want that. That looks better for me. I think that will actually be better for me than what Jesus is promising. Now, sometimes we don't do this in our best days, but in our worst days we go, okay, I want to follow Jesus. I want to implement this in my life, but I just kind of fall back on what I used to do, what was comfortable, what freed me before, what helped me out before. Those old ways were good. Shifting from old to the new is hard, right? Going from the old to the new is hard. I used to think that I was young, and I'm starting to recognize I'm not. All right. Now, I've talked about this a lot, but it's because I think I'm going through this process like a butterfly metamorphosis thing happening in my life where I'm recognizing that I'm super dadish, like tell the dad jokes. I have a list, a note section in my phone of dad jokes with my daughter. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting older. Well, something happened this week that told me I am officially entering into a phase of life with an old mindset. Not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm joining the crew, man. I feel good about it. I feel good. I'm telling you. I still step into, like, I ran yesterday, and I was like, okay, I feel young. And then after I ran, I was like, I feel really old. And it was this balance, right? Well, something happened this week that told me that things are changing. And that was my Apple Watch. I use this to track my mileage, to track my pace, and track my heart rate, all that stuff, right? Well, this week, they decided to drop an update. Well, if you have had an Apple Watch before, how do you find out how much battery life you have? 
You just swipe up from the bottom, right? All you got to do is just swipe up from the bottom. Now you'll notice my Apple Watch is off. There's a reason for that. I didn't know how much battery I had on it. So if you have an Apple Watch, go ahead and pull it out right now. Go to what, what you used to do. You press a little button over here. You swipe up from the bottom, and it would show you how much battery percentage you have there. If you do that right now, it will not show you how much battery percentage you have anymore. And I recognize that I'm no longer a techie. I'm not young. Because when that happened, I said in my mind, why did they have to update my watch? Why couldn't they just leave it the way it was? And then I was like, my grandfather? What just happened? And I love my grandfather, but I was like, this is sounding really weird. So anyways, uh, apparently, because Dom, my good friend who is not here right now, was in the first service, and he came to me afterwards and said, Matt, all you have to do is press the action button here, and it will show your battery. And I was like... I don't want to do that. I want to go back to the old way. Uh, but in life, we want what was old before. We oftentimes want what we used to do, right? Many of you may like travel the same way every single day to work. And somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, Apple Maps or Google Maps would make your trip much faster. And you're like, no, I want to go my way. I don't want to go the new way. You're like, I like the scenery or something, right? Like, because we like what was old. We don't want what is new a lot of times in our life. And maybe you say, well, I always want what is new. Well, here's my question for anybody today. Do you believe that Jesus' way is better for your life? It's new. It's not the old. It's new. But do you believe that it's better? Because this is going to, it's going to like conflict with, it. you're going to have to compare and contrast. You're going to have to observe every bit of your life to go, do I really believe that Jesus is better than the things that I used to have in my life? Because honestly, these guys, like they had good things. The book of Hebrews is written to people who were doing things pretty well. And, and I think we could say back to them, here's some things you could do different. I think they would say that. I think Jesus would say that. But at the same time, I just want you to think about a first century Jew and what they probably were facing at this time. These people lived in a, an agricultural community, and they would travel a week to two weeks to get to Jerusalem for festivals. They would oftentimes go to the priest and ask the priest for forgiveness, especially the high priest, who would then forgive them. But during that time in the festival, they would spend time with their, like, the best friends. They would eat and drink and, and, and hang out and enjoy all the festivities so that they could just be with people who loved God. They would eat some of the best foods, right, just reserved for this week. If you've watched The Chosen, you've seen some illustrations of what that might have looked like. Maybe you got an idea of what that might would be like in your mind right now. But I want to take you to the other side of that. Let's think about the flip side. Have you ever been to on a conference or a retreat um, where you get to go away and you're going to be with the Lord and you spend time and you get back from that? It's like two days, three days a week, whatever it was. Or you go on a mission trip and you get back and you're like, I am ready to conquer the world for Jesus. I want to save everybody I know. I want to worship 24-7 and sign me up to serve in every area of church, right? You get back and you're just ready to go. That refreshing, that restoration that you experience when you get away. Well, these first century Jews would get away to be refreshed. But what would it cost them? An agricultural community, a week or two to get there, a week or two to get back, on the way, up and down the mountains, thieves stealing things, animals would threaten your life, and you got to camp out on the side with your kids. Parents, with your kids. Walking, hot in the day, cold at night, 
with your kids. And as you travel, and you're going to get to Jerusalem after a week or two weeks, you spend a week in the festivals, then you go back after a week and two weeks, you get back and you're talking about three to five weeks, maybe five weeks uh, away. What does that look like for an agricultural community? What do you do with your livestock? What do you do with your plants? Do you just let the weeds grow up and consume them? Or do you have a neighbor take care of it? Well, that neighbor must be a heathen because they didn't go to the festival. (laughs) No, but seriously, what do you do with these people and these things that you love and you want to take care of? It's not like you can leave your kids back at the farm for five weeks. Okay, so it took sacrifice to obey the way of God, to obey the covenant. It took a sacrifice to enjoy that refreshing So let me take the question one step further. I asked you, do you believe the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world or the way of religiosity? And if the answer is yes, then now let's ask another question. Is it worth giving up completely the way of the world for the way of Jesus? Because this gets a little bit more practical. All right, my extroverts in the room, this might mean that occasionally it's good for you to be in solitude. What in your mind might actually be the worst thing in the world might actually be the best thing for you to get away in solitude with God. For those who love music, podcasts, being with people, it might be good for you to have silence. But that's the way of Jesus. It might be good for you to fast, and that is not the way of the world, but it's the way of Jesus. So we can say we believe the way of Jesus is better, but are you willing to sacrifice the way of the world for the way of Jesus? And that is going to change your life. Hebrews chapter 8 wants you to see that Jesus' way is better. The way it's used in Hebrews 8 is the word covenant. I'm going to call it the way of life. For you, the way of life is better. It's better than the way of this world. Because Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe he's the way. I believe he's better than the other ways. But it's going to change your life. Now, I would argue that every single one of us in this room, and we're going to talk a lot about Hebrews 8 and 9 today, and I want you to study it on your own at home. But as we talk about it, I want you to think, we probably agree in this room that murder is wrong. I would assume that most of us would agree with that, but that's a U.S. law. I would think that most of us probably agree that stealing is wrong too, but that's also a U.S. law. As we think through these things, maybe you would say, you know what, Matt, We, we actually agree that the way of Jesus is good, but do you let the way of Jesus extend past the way of this world? Or only to where we all can agree that it's good for our society to live in these ways. Like this. Is it good for our society to live 24-7? Because it's the way of the world. If you want to thrive in our society, you better work every single day. And if you're not working on your job, you better work on your house or your car or your bills or you got to clean or you got to take care of yourself or you got to go somewhere and visit somebody or do something. 24-7 living is the way of our world. But it's not the way of Jesus. The way of our Father is the 24-6 life. What would the world tell you is the way to get rest today? 
That's right, go on vacation. We live in a lifestyle where uh, you work all year and you get seven day break. Jesus lived where you work six days and get one day break. What sounds better? Jesus' way is better. But we might not believe that. We might not believe that sacrificing an entire day free of technology and free of working and free of cleaning and free of cooking and free of everything is actually better for us. But I want to show you, and I want you to discover this week, that this way actually is better. I just saw a newlywed couple. Hey, guys. So glad to see you guys in here. I'm so sorry. I hadn't seen them since I married them. Hope you're doing good. Um, I believe this way is better for you. So I want to show you four promises that Jesus gives us for a new way of living. Four promises. Now, because if I told you that there is going to be a new way for your life of living, but I didn't, but there were no promises attached to it, you'd probably go, I don't know if I want that. Here's an illustration of that. New head coach in town. Didn't make it to the Super Bowl, right? I know everybody's frustrated about that. I'm with you. I feel it. New head coach in town, and he goes, hey, and I know we're probably not ready to get rid of hardball. I know. But if there were a new head coach, and he came in like Andy Reid, and he said, hey, I'm going to put in a new offensive scheme. And with that offensive scheme, um, we're going to get zero rushing yards, zero passing yards, and our offensive line is going to be awful. What would you guys do in Baltimore and in Maryland? You'd revolt. I have a feeling you guys actually would tear down MT Bank Stadium. <laughs> I know y'all. I've seen you act. You, you know, you can't come in and promise a new way to do something without promising some good things. So what, here's what it should sound like. New coach comes in and he goes, hey, I'm going to implement a new offensive scheme, and we're going to get more passing yards, more rushing yards, and we're going to win every single game we compete in. We're going to the Super Bowl, and we're going to win it. Something Andy Reid could say, correct? He's going to the Super Bowl, right? And he's already won it multiple times, okay? So there are promises that come with the way that he implements his football. Jesus implements something in your life, and I believe it has promises attached to it. I want to give you four it's in, we find it in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, and, and all the way into chapter 9, verse 10. And it starts with that we have a promise of a fresh word. A fresh word. Now, I want to tell you why that's good, because, again, we need to know why that's good for our life, that it's actually better. In the Old Testament, there was a, 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 the, 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 the law was written on a stones, uh, and they would write it on the stone so they could see it, they could memorize it, and they could live by it. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not legalism and freedom, though this was what many taught in the early 1900s, and even till today in books like Left Behind and theologies like Dispensationalism, these are what are communicated and taught. And that is that Old Testament's legalism, New Testament's freedom, Old Testament's uh, all the rules and regulations, New Testament's all Jesus and freedom. That's, not a, that's a very poor way of looking at the Bible. The character of God doesn't change. The grace of God doesn't change. The scriptures have all been telling the same story, that God saves us and then he gives us a way to live. So I would ask you, when God first gave the law, what happened right before it? He saved them out of Egypt. 
And throughout the book of Psalms and throughout the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, all of these books said the same thing. Because God saved you, now live this way. It's been the heart of God since the beginning. He saves you, and then he shows you how to live different so that you don't go back into the pain that you once were in. It's the same thing as the New Testament. Now, what we do as humans is we take good things and we make them bad. And so what we did was we said, okay, well, here's this law. Here's what we'll do. If you do this law, you'll have good things. If you don't do this law, you'll have bad things. That's humans. We did that. Then people said, okay, well, that's a good way to structure all of life. When Jesus comes, he says, you have taken my God's law and you have turned it into something that is overweighing and destroying my people. My burden is easy. Your burden is hard. Follow me. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is so redefining and reshaping our world around what it originally should have been in the Garden of Eden that all of us ought to look at it and go, wow, the way of religiosity and the way of the world is not the way that we ought to live. I want to live like Jesus. So this fresh word is now written not on stone tablets. It's written on our heart. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. No longer is it written on something for us to obey, but it's written within us for it to be our passion, our desires, what we long for, what we want. So when I ask you, is Jesus way better? It comes from your heart, not from outside of you. You don't go, I don't know, let me examine these things. But it's rather within you that you go, I want what God wants. It's written on my heart. This was the promise of Jesus in this new way of living, this new covenant, that he would write it on my heart and not just on a stone. So that's one promise. We have a fresh word written on our hearts so that we want to do it, not just that we see it. But we also have a fresh relationship. Verse 10 continues. It says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's quoted throughout the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses of Leviticus 26:11, where it says the same exact thing. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this truth has been preached throughout the time of God's uh, dealings with his people, with us. And what it's saying is this, you're going to have a relationship with God. Now, I want you to think about what that relationship might look like. Have you ever desired to see like a celebrity or famous author or a famous athlete before? Maybe you would really like to see a president. It's one of those people that if you saw them, you feel like you'd probably faint. You know what I'm talking about? I got a message this week from Pastor Bill. His wife took him to meet. I'm going to try to get this right. I believe it was Jim Palmer. Was that a pitcher? It's better. I did better this time. Last time I messed up, messed up the name, and then I said he was a pitcher for the Ravens. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Again, I am, I'm enjoying the old, and it's getting good. It's getting good. So uh, Jim Palmer got to meet him, and you could just tell on Bill's like face, like he was just, he was almost like a little kid, just so excited to meet Jim Palmer. And I was like, I don't even know who that is, but cool, man. So then I realized I'm, I'm young again, because Bill's really old. So it felt good. <laughs> I'm kidding, I love that dude. Um, but Bill doesn't have a, a fresh relationship with Jim Palmer. He met him. But what would it be like to have like, their phone number, to know them, to know where they live, and to go over and eat dinner with them? 
You don't just know God. You don't just have an idea of who he is. You are in a relationship with the God of the universe. You don't just know he exists out there in some place like, hey, I know Brad Pitt exists. You know God intimately. In chapter 9, 1 through 10, it talks about how there are, there's a tabernacle on earth. The tabernacle is the, like set up. It's beautiful. They put all the stuff within it. And it's, a, and it's an illustration of what is in heaven on earth. What is in heaven shadowed on earth. I get a picture of what is in heaven by what I see on earth. That's good. But what does Jesus do? It's not a picture of what is in heaven. Now heaven comes to me. And even further, what Hebrews is really arguing is, heaven didn't just come down so I could see a picture of it. Heaven is now in me. It's going to say in chapter 9 that the Holy Spirit is in us. So now I have a relationship with the Father through the Son in me. I know my God intimately because he lives in me, not in a tabernacle or the Holy of Holies. And you can imagine, like, the past three chapters, we've seen that Jesus is the high priest, right? And we've talked about how the high priest goes in and he makes sacrifices so that I might be forgiven. Well, when he goes in, he gets to be in the presence of the, of the Father, the presence of God. What Jesus does, and we've talked about how Jesus goes in there and makes sacrifices for us, but not only that, We've taken the Holy of Holies, and it's now in us. The tabernacle, the temple, the presence of God is in us. So now I know that I have a relationship with the Father directly. That's a great promise, y'all. That's the greatest promise of all time. There is no better person to meet than God. There's no better person on earth that we could meet that is better than knowing the God of this universe and having a relationship with him. So we have a fresh knowledge not just a fresh relationship, but a fresh knowledge. It says in verse 11, it says, And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. You don't have to tell somebody to know the Lord. Why? Because they personally can know him intimately. And here's what I mean by that. You don't just have a relationship. He's not just living in you. But as Jesus said, we know his voice. Know his voice. And it says, it says that they would know his voice and the sheep will listen to the voice. They will hear it and know that it is the Father. So I can know God's voice. I can know his, what he wants for me because now the law is written on my heart, not on stones. I know God. Do you know the Father? Like intimately knowing, not just knowing about him, but knowing him, reading his words so that you can know a lot of what he wants and who he is, but being in relationship with him to get away in solitude to be with him, silence to hear from him, fasting to, to let him know that you are ready to receive what he has for you and you don't need what the world has to offer. There are these times where we go, if I believe that what God has is better for me than what the world has is better for me, then I've actually got to uh, follow the way and recognize that it's going to be different than what the world wants. And so I'm going to have to restructure my life around that. And now a new knowledge, a new relationship, and a new law is going to be different. It's going to be different. Knowing God, listening to God rather than listening to the world. But I think it's better. 
Not only do we know God, but we have a fresh forgiveness by him. This is new. This is good. And it's in verse 12. It says, For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. He knows you intimately. You know him, and yet he still loves you and forgives you and forgets everything you've done against him. That's a good promise. So if the Old Testament was, you've been saved, now live this way, the New Testament is, you guys were supposed to live this way, but you couldn't. So here comes Jesus to die on the cross so that you may be forgiven, and then raised from the dead so the Holy Spirit could be poured out in your hearts so that you could do what you were originally supposed to do by the Holy Spirit living in you. Now God's Word is written in you, and now God is in you so that you could do what you were supposed to do. That's the new way of living. So churches are restructuring their life, like family units, moms and dads and children are restructuring their whole life around the idea that I now can live according to what God wants for me. And it's better. It's better than what the world wants for me. Now, have you ever, I, and I look, I think I'm the worst, not maybe not the, I'm just not great at this. So I'll just be honest. And, and start off the conversation. Friendships and in marriage, one of the hardest things is communication, right? And I don't mean between me and Rachel because we're perfect in our communication. We have no problems. I don't want to bring her into this. But I just mean in general, in relationships, am I right that communication is just really hard? You're like having a conversation with somebody and you're like, Hey, uh, they're, they're like, hey, let's go to the park and let's go for a walk. And you're like, I don't want to park and walk that far. That restaurant's way too far. Let's park over closer to it. That's crazy. I'm tired. You know I'm tired. And they're like, I want to go to the park and walk. And you're like, I'm going to park. I just don't know if I want to walk. And they're like, park. <laughs> and you just miss communication, right? And that's like marriage, that's relationships. We just struggle to communicate. I sometimes feel like it's like different languages. Are y'all with me on text messaging? It's so hard. I got to make sure I put the right amount of exclamation points. And if I don't put an exclamation point, I sound like a jerk. And I need to throw a smiley face in there. But is that weird? (laughs) And I accidentally threw the wrong face in there. Now it's really weird. You know, it's like to your dad, you're not supposed to put the kissy face. That was supposed to be to Rachel. And you know, it's just weird stuff happens when you text people and there's all these rules that are bound up into it man you almost got to like learn as things go and like I thought look I know I'm going from young to old I know I'm in that process and I'm embracing it but I don't know all the words that the kids used to that I that we used right there's new words out there and I don't want to say them because I don't know what they mean (laughs) okay and I'm now at the point where I don't even want to look them up because I'm like, I don't care that much anymore. When I was a student pastor, I was like, I should look these things up. And then I looked them up and I was like, that's a really bad thing. You shouldn't say that. <sighs> Life, it just, you know, I'm just a circle. Diapers to diapers just continues to go in this circle. And I know I'm in the process. But I don't really, I don't, I don't know if, ah, the way, 
just this way, you get in the communication problem and you're communicating and you're trying to communicate. And you're like, I don't know if I'm, I even want to work on this anymore. I'm just tired. Can you imagine someone coming up to you who loves you? And they say, hey, I love you. And I want you to know that everything that is inside of your heart is what I want. Just take that in for a second. Your spouse comes up to you and they go, everything that is in you is exactly what I want. Or they come up to you and they go, my love for you has never been deeper. Every single bit of your love language that you desire and need, I'm going to be for you. You'd like for me to write you notes? I'm going to write you a note every single day. You need me to just spend quality time with you? I just want to sit with you. I just want to sit with you. I love you more than I've ever loved you before. And I want to know you. I want to know everything about you. And I want you to know everything about me. And I'm going to tell you everything exactly as it is. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to twist things. I'm not going to distort the truth. I'm just going to tell you exactly how I feel. And it's going to be good for you. And if you do anything wrong, that's okay. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to completely forget every single thing you've ever done. Because I love you. Guys. Marriages would thrive. Businesses would be so effective, so efficient, so good. Churches, best they've ever been. Family units would be healed again. I mean, I'm telling you, if we could talk to each other like this and live in this way, it would be the best. It'd be perfect relationships. You'd have the perfect relationship if you lived that way. If what I wanted in my heart was perfectly good for you, can you imagine how good we would have it? But that's, <laughs> but that's what God promises for you. That's exactly what God promises for you. He loves you that much. To be known, to know, to be free to do exactly what you're supposed to do for the other person. That's what our relationship with the Father is like because of Jesus. And Jesus won that by living how we should have lived, by doing this perfectly, knowing what the Father wanted and doing it exactly as he should have done it. And then dying on the cross because that was part of doing what God called him to do, to sacrifice his life for us so that he might win for us this type of relationship with the Father, which he had. He secured that for you. So today, I don't want you to be able to, I don't want you to walk away thinking the world might be better. I want you to know that Jesus is better because what Jesus offers you is that kind of promise, that good life with the Father so that you might live in this world free of some of the pain and the heartache that you've experienced in this hurting and broken world. In in, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 10, The main point of it is this, access denied and access granted. Access denied was with the uh, the tabernacle. They could not get into the Holy of Holies. Only one person could, the the high priest, right? We've talked about this a lot. Only one could could enter into it. Jesus uh, enters into it for us so that he can make sacrifices so that we can enter into the Holy Holies. But even further, he plants the Holy Holies in our hearts so that, that God the Father might live in us through the Holy Spirit. Okay, these are what we've learned over the past few weeks. Now, I want want you to think about this, though. What does it say in verse 13? Sorry, verse 8. 
chapter 9, verse 8, the Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. I know that just like in my life, there are things still standing in your life that are preventing you from seeing the way that is better. I know they are. There's things set up in your life that you're like, I I really believe this is still good for me. And Jesus is showing you through his word and through people that it's not what is good for you. And you're just falling back into it like this is good. Scripture says those tabernacles need to fall. The tabernacle was so good. It traveled around. It was the presence of God. It was where people met with God. It was set up like heaven on earth. And yet it needed to fall so that we could see what was better. Jesus, so that the presence of God could live in us, not somewhere else where we had to travel to it. And so when Jesus is meeting with the woman at the well and she's like, I don't know, I got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You can worship here because I am here. Jesus is in you and you can worship him in you because he is with you and he's not leaving you and he loves you and he's forgiven you and he wants a relationship with you to know you and to be known by you. And so today... Compare. I challenge you. This is my gospel response for you. Trust the way and trust life. Trust the way and trust the life. Jesus has the way and he has the life for you. But you've got to trust that it's better for you. You got to give in. You got to let tabernacles fall down. You got to you got to value what he has for you rather than the world what the world has for you. And I got one way that I want you to walk into that. I want you to walk into this knowing that you can compare and contrast your way versus his way. Your way versus his way. What does the way of Jesus say? What are you? What is your way said? And maybe your way has been so affected by the world or religiosity, a church, a former leader, or whoever it may be. And maybe as a sports coach or, or some, a book you read, your way has been so affected by something that you say, I know this way is good and it's contradicting scripture and what Jesus wants for me. And they are at odds, Matt, and they are battling in my life. My heart is torn and I don't know what to do. And Scripture's saying, let the tabernacles fall. Even though they're good, let the tabernacles fall. So what I want you to do is I want you to compare and contrast. And I mean, I like specifics. Because again, we probably agree that murder's wrong. So we don't really have to come to that like, hey, is murder good or is murder bad? We probably agree upon that. But when you break it down, you might be starting to disagree. It's like this. Do you believe rest is good? We probably all agree with that. But when I said vacation versus Sabbath, you've probably been taught in your mind that vacation is the way to get away from work and to find rest. So now I've got to put those two up next to each other. Do I really believe that Sabbath is better for me? Because that's going to change my life. I'm going to have to restructure my whole life around that. Do I really believe that fasting is better for me? Because I surely have been taught that eating is good. When you're sad, eat some chocolate ice cream. Go get you a Big Mac. I get it. It's good, man. A charcuterie board, man. Those things are delicious. All right, so I know food is good, but what if I said that Jesus was better? Would you believe me? Because that's what fasting is saying. And in Daniel chapter 1 and 2, man, it shows us fasting is better. Change the world. It'll change your life. Compare and contrast, though. If I believe that rest is better, it's probably because I know that Jesus promised me peace. And if he's going to promise me peace, it's actually going to be through fasting, solitude, silence, and simplicity, and all these good things like Sabbath. 
which means I got to implement these things. And now I'm going, okay, are these better? Because I would guess that many of you in here today are probably struggling with uh, anxiety or depression. Statistically speaking, there's a significant amount of people, including myself, who have wrestled with anxiety, right? If that's true, you're gonna, I, I would encourage you to put up, compare and contrast, anxiety and chaos with rest and peace. And to honestly ask yourself, do I want chaos or do I want rest? Because if Jesus offers us rest, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. If, you, if, if we want that rest of Jesus, what if we have to let some tabernacles fall? Because chaos might be because of accumulating debt. Because I want something that's cool. But that wanting of something cool might give me more debt, which gives me more stress. And now I'm going, okay, maybe I don't actually want to buy things. But then when you want to buy things and add more debt, now you're going, I don't believe Jesus' way is better. I believe my way is better. Or maybe you say, my health is way out of whack, Matt. I can't stop eating. And you're like, well, Jesus' way is to not be a glutton. Should I be that way or do I want to just keep eating? Because now you're comparing and contrasting. Is this way better? And I'm not, I'm not telling you to do all these things like a law, like you're going to be saved by it. These things can't save you. What I'm telling you is Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven and so that you can live in this life like you will live in heaven, that we will be a picture on earth of Christ on earth, that he came and now we are images of God on earth. He's living through you to, cha to change the world and draw the world to God. Do you look like what you will look like in heaven? And if not, he's going to create you more and more into that image, which might mean you've got to compare and contrast your way to God's way and let the tabernacles fall. So as the band comes forward, we're going to continue to worship through song this morning. And as they come forward, I'm just going to press in a little bit more. What do you need to lay before Jesus as your way to compare it with his way? And, and I, want to, I want to ask you to consider doing this. Let your spouse speak into it. Let your D group, let your life group speak into it. And here's what I do. Here's what I do with people. What they say first, if it's somebody I trust, what they say, I believe. I believe it first. What they say, I believe it first because that I trust this person. They're of the spirit. They are good. They want good for me. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to think about this. This is something I'm going to lay before Jesus. What they say, I'm going to trust first because I'm only going to put people in that area of my life that I believe I should listen to them first because my first thought can't be, I don't believe you. My first thought has to be, I've put you in my life because I do believe you because you're of Christ and of the spirit. So I want to challenge you for those people, because I assume that's your spouse, I assume that's your life group or your D group or Sunday school. Ask those people, what do I need to compare to the way of Jesus in my life? Maybe you've been relying on a substance. You know, it's not that bad. Well, the tabernacle was that good. It was way better. Maybe you've been relying on some form of technology or some form of consumption of this world that you're like, 
found such good freedom from the anxiety of this world and from my frustrations at work and from my difficulties in my marriage by doing this. And I'm with you. I thought that I could be free by fishing more. But what I actually found is I needed to find good life at home. I needed to find what God had for me with what I had and not desire more outside of it. And so what do you need to put before the Lord and ask, is my way better or is your way better? And let the tabernacles fall. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we love you. We know that you have good for us. That your way is better, but it is so hard when we see everything in this world that compares and that wants to overtake it. Our time, our taste, our money, our love and passion. I pray, Father, that you would show us what is good compared to what is worldly or even religious. Show us what is good. Help us to replace the things that were good, like tabernacles, and to just get rid of the things that were wicked. We need you, God, to give us discernment. We'll follow where you, give, where, where you lead us and what you give us. We love you and praise you in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.